Hello and namaste. I'm Peter Furco, and this is Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Since my last episode, I've turned a three-bedroom house with a garage into a one-bedroom apartment. Boy, was that a lot of downsizing. So uh, thanks for being patient. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about a bunch of different things that have come up over the few weeks and um, just have a little one-on-one chat, you and me in the four walls here in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, the new hood. Yeah. So I've been uh, doing teacher training in the meantime, talking with uh, serious students of yoga. They always have really wonderful questions. Some of uh, my students have been cappuccino Q&A supporters and on Patreon. So um, I'm excited to the answer questions from them too. Um, if you have questions, you can always feel free to drop me a line. Uh, there's a link to my email in the show notes. So just jot down either a topic you're interested in me covering or a question that you would like me to answer, and I'm happy to do that. All right, cool. So one of the things that came up during this move is uh, something that's talked about a lot in the yoga sutras um, which are the yamas and niyamas these sort of first two of the branches of the eight limbs of yoga these two first two limbs of the eight limbs of yoga and we usually in our current world think of yoga as a exercise routine i've spoken a lot about this on the podcast previously. And of course, uh, hopefully I'm preaching a little bit to the choir and saying that yoga is basically a way of life, of finding of how to relate to the challenging situation we find ourselves in. And the way involves eight different pieces or eight different tools, compartments maybe even of a toolbox and the yamas and niyamas are kind of things that we do in our lives to reprogram our minds that we by our nature and by our nurture end up with certain patterns of thinking patterns of expectation and one of the first things that we can do to try to help ourselves out to live a life that's more filled with contentment and less aggravating is to reprogram, you know, to in essence, let your mind be more in line with the way things really are. So the one I had to deal with a lot over the course of our move was uh, in Sanskrit called aparigraha. And it's often translated as not hoarding um, but, or not greediness. Yeah? 
And uh, right at this very moment, my wife Wendy Newton and Alan Finger are giving a little training uh, session on their upcoming book on the Tantra of the Yoga Sutras. And uh, in their translation of Aparigraha, it says Aparigraha is the absence of greed and possessiveness. Aparigraha is created when we understand that we can have things, but we don't own them. That's interesting, right? Sort of the opposite of the entire American capitalist system. If we can consciously step back from our desire for and attachment to our stuff, the desired object or outcome holds no power over the ego and the things that we want and have can't own us. So practically speaking, for me, over the course of having a house full of things was a whole lot of letting go. And um, I read Marie Kondo's excellent book about the magic of tidying, which I highly recommend if you haven't ever seen it. It's a, a quick read. And she's kind of uh, obsessive would be a way too gentle of a word for how she thinks about what to do with your stuff. You know, she, she only wants you to hold on to the stuff that brings you joy and even to treat that stuff then in ways that you get to appreciate that joy all the time, all the way down to how you fold your socks, that you do it lovingly, um, which I now do. <laughs> um, but this notion of does it bring you joy is sort of a like looking at the things from the other side, right? So the aparigraha, you're not thinking so much about these things. Whoops, I'm getting a, I'm getting a buzz, hold on. Okay, now where were we? Aparigraha. Yeah, so we've got on the one hand this notion of things are yours to use, things are that we encounter, which is a very sort of Native American idea. I was always impressed when I learned the story about how the Native Americans had this feeling about things that were all around you, you use them, but you don't necessarily own them. And when you, when they were doing trade, it was sort of a, a gift culture. You know, you give, then the other person has to give too. And then through that mutual action, you create a balance and the balance is considered, you know, what stabilizes the neighbors, so to speak. And then we were so confused when the Europeans came over and they thought uh, that New York was sold to them for some wampum. You know, it was not the case at all. That was just the, okay, now we're in harmony, you guys, and we are in harmony. <clears throat> Whereas the Europeans thought, oh, great, now we own this land. So I had to think a lot about the stuff that I had in my house and the things that I had been given. You settle down, Micah. I have all new sounds in this uh, recording studio of my new apartment. <clears throat> and um, so I let go of a lot of things. I let go of a lot of things that I had accumulated uh, 
because they were useful at another time. That I had them and they were of intrinsic value, but they were no longer of value to me. So rather than continuing to keep them, to continue to carry them around, to continue to find places to store them when I no longer needed them, I let them go. And it was incredibly lightening, very freeing to do so. So that was really cool. So now those things no longer hold power over me. Yeah. I kind of wonder about some of how that same notion of things owning us is coloring a lot of what's going on in our society right now. For instance, we give, we have charity, we, what in yoga, yoga of old, maybe not so much hatha yoga, but in old times you would, you know, do sacrifice fire ceremonies and things like that. And there was this notion of your, your offering. And at the end of them, very often you offered food to the fire. And, you know, we, we do that kind of giving now. It's almost a, a whole industry of um, charity, philanthropy. But now it's colored by this notion of legacy and that you give so that you can hold the ownership of that gift for a long time. It's going to be a chair that's named after you or a, even a um, sports arena that's named after you. Um, so that's kind of fascinating twisting of things. You know, here's a thing that originally started as how do I let go of what I have? And now it's become how do I let go of what I have, but you're going to give me credit for letting go of that and my name is going to stay on it. Hmm. So there's that. Where are the cool kids going to be this summer? They're going to be in France with me, Wendy Newton and Ulrika Norbury doing a retreat, yoga and the art of living creatively five days all about you and figuring out how to live deeply, creatively, in tune. We're going to France. You're going to France. See peterferco.com for details. So another idea that came up, another topic we could say that came up was from one of my uh, cappuccino sponsors on Patreon was about negative thoughts and self-criticism. So this is um, a piece that's related to these ideas of the yamas and niyamas that after in the Yoga Sutras, there's this description of the yamas and niyamas listing of them, the, uh, the sutras continue with this interesting line about pratipaksha bhavanam, or reprogramming, that you can reprogram yourself using the yamas and niyamas. So in other words, as you start to do these things that you want to control, the yamas, 
things that you want less to be dominant in your programming, that yama will help you find your best state of mind. Then there are this second set of things, niyama, which sounds related because it just means the opposite. So these are things that we would like to have more of in our programming, and that would help us find our best state of mind. And in the Yoga Sutras, this best state of mind is the one that lets us go still and to experience unbound consciousness, rather than experiencing the limitations of our sensory mind, the, the way we usually think, the way that we usually think that doesn't necessarily bring us to any kind of real happiness, any kind of deeper living, to quote Peter's podcast. So we can use Pratipaksha Bhavanam, or this reprogramming, turning things around, doing the thing that's helpful instead of the thing that's not helpful. Using the yamas and niyamas, things we want more of, things we want less of, to help us to find this best state of mind that my wife, Wendy, is always uh, very insistent on saying, quite rightly, that the Yoga Sutras is a book about samadhi, this state of mind in which you transcend normal experience. To use Alan Finger's term, you find unbound intelligence. When you're in that state of consciousness, then the world seems different subsequently. So the whole sutras are trying to get us to find the way, using these eight limbs of yoga as a way, to have samadhi, unbound experience of unbound consciousness, and then to bring that back into life. Not like suddenly you're doing something that you explicitly learned, although that can be the case, you can have an insight, but just that you're different, you've changed, you've made a shift, and through making this shift, suddenly when the same thing that used to be hassling you or used to be troubling you or used to be perplexing you, when that same thing occurs, you suddenly have a new resource that pops up because you're now a slightly changed person. You've become evolved. And we're always evolving. Um, I was listening to a podcast by um, two women. The podcast is called Create, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's it's very uh, kooky and fun. Um, one of my students who's a, an actress turned me on to it. It's very much uh, targeted toward that kind of a, a listener. Um, but they were speaking about so we're always evolving, and what, um, what these young women proposed was that this energy that we use is going to bring about benefits, bring about sort of what they were calling creativity, or it's going to bring about something else, which they called destruction, 
I would phrase it a little bit differently in saying that we are always creative because it's our nature. Our nature is to be part of the expressing of the universe. We are part of the karma, uh, to use a loaded word, the karma meaning the action that the universe is engaged in. And uh, it's just happening, right? So since the moment of the Big Bang, things have been progressing forward in time and even in space the universe apparently is expanding and expanding and expanding so we are part of that expansion that progression through time each of us finds ourselves in a particular spot a particular role a particular set of characteristics a particular dharma we would say in yoga and we have this free will that lets us make choices that lets us decide what we want to do in each moment we can't change the things that are our circumstances but we can work on this moment which might create a shift for a future might create a change for things to come so we are always participating in the creation of life in creating what we're experiencing and we're interacting with all the other beings that are also doing the same thing so we can consciously choose to use pratipaksha bhavanam to try to program actions that are going to be helpful and practically speaking those would be don't be self-critical don't um, you know don't uh, waste your energy don't um, live in you know an unpure state an unhealthy way and do more of uh, peacefulness towards others kindness uh, consideration um, so we're using these ideas that are in the yamas and niyamas more specifically the yamas encourage non-violence right so that's of all kinds including being self-deprecating or criticizing someone else they encourage truthfulness including being true to yourself getting clear on what's what they encourage avoiding coveting what other people have or even stealing what other people have and then the niyamas encourage a contentment with the circumstances acting in ways that align with our best judgment but not wishing things were other than they were they encourage practicing discipline practicing self-awareness practicing surrender to the way that life is so through this action of pratipaksha bhavanam working with the yamas and niyamas we reprogram our minds to move away from negativity toward contentment away from obsession with results big one to action without attachment to certain outcomes that is perhaps the hugest thing you know even people who are being very spiritual in 
their pursuit, like that's their focus. How, how do I become more uh, of a good person? How do I become more of a person who's creating the highest form of myself in life? Often we get very caught up in a kind of a magical thinking. Like if, if I do this, if I send out this spiritual thing, if I chant this mantra, <clears throat> will I then get the thing that I'm trying to get, like a reward system. And the thing is, yes and no. You, What you can do is, through these actions you take, is that you become a better uh, navigator of life. You become more graceful, to use Alan Finger's word, more graceful in your living when you encounter things. You don't run into things and object to them out of hand. You might say, wow, this is not the best thing, or maybe this isn't good for someone else. Maybe this is unjust, all these kinds of things. So it doesn't stop you from doing the work that you see in front of you. But you can't just wish that away. You can't just wish the world were better. Or if I say, gum, 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 ganapattaye namaha, all my obstacles will immediately dissolve. Right? Instead, you become someone who knows how to deal with obstacles. You become a master of encountering an obstacle and finding a way around it. Right? So not magical, and yet it seems like magic. Right? So the more that you do this practice, the more that you're weaving wisdom into your living, the more that it starts to look from the outside like magic because you're so graceful at dealing with everything. And from your own perspective, it means that things aren't getting you down and you feel like you have the resources to deal with life, that life is no longer this overwhelming thing that's always stepping on you, that's always blocking you, that things never go right. And instead, you just simply deal with the things that happen. Right? You take them as they come. You do the best you can with them. And then you let them go. So it goes all the way back to where we started today. You don't hold on to things then as part of your identity just because they happened to you. Right? How many times have you had someone walk in to your office or to your house or they called you on the phone and they tell you this whole story about something that like, yeah, wow, bummer, man. And of course you can give them compassion, but my advice to you is rather than telling that story to anyone else, right, rather than telling your story when you encounter that bummer thing is to let that be something that you just went through. That was a part of your karma. You encountered it, you dealt with it, and now it's gone, right? And now you can move on to the next thing. And when you do that, then the things of life have less weight. They have less of a hold on you your story, you don't have so much story about the things. Instead, you're simply in the moment, right? Which is the Eckhart Tolle 
book title, right? The Power of Now. You're now. You're not what happened to me this morning. Okay? Cool. Let's take a little pause and we'll be right back. favorite podcast runs ads for the same thing over and over. Their delivery has become almost a joke. Get this, we're not using the other one anymore. I keep doing the same thing, but it's only one ad, and it's for me directly. Please go to patreon.com slash peterspodcast and become a supporter of the podcast. It's easy, it's a bargain, it's important. Pause the podcast and do it now. I mean, please do it now. Thank you. The next topic I want to deal with today is um, also brought up by a student of mine um, from meditation class. And she was intrigued by something that I said about Svadhisthana chakra, the second chakra. And you know, sometimes when people hear chakra, they kind of roll their eyes, you know, what is that really? And so just as caveat, I guess, or putting it in a framework, in the yoga model, we think about the different functionary energies that we have as having a headquarters, a sort of pseudo-physical headquarters in our body that relates to this density of our own structure where we have our thinking happening in the top of us and we have our most survival functions like procreation, elimination, all of those working in the bottom of us. So the chakra system isn't so much a piece of anatomy as it's a way of considering the different energies that we use to take on different tasks, that we do thinking, we do expressing, we do relating, we do metabolizing, we do procreating, dealing with our desires, and we do survival. Right? We, we do surviving to stay with the gerund. So here we are in this system, and, and what yogis have found through practice is that in this toolbox of practice, working with chakras is a very fruitful practice that it somehow resonates with a part of us and we can grasp the concept and it works with us at a sort of a fundamental level, right? Sort of like, you know, they say that they, they make pills in different colors because when you see the color, it has a health impact, right? Um, if you never heard that before, you can look it up. So anyway, in that same way, this yogis have found that this notion of a headquarters of stuff in us and working with color, working with shape, working with imagery, it, it gives us a, an, a way in to making shifts in our energy. Right? So once you buy the concept, then the specifics of it, they don't necessarily so much matter. They're just part of the whole package, the whole framework of us dealing with that stuff. 
which brings us to our question of second chakra. So second chakra has this beautiful name, Svadhisthana, and Svadhisthana means the abode of the self. The self, in this case, is that aspect of you that is what we usually think of as me, right? Our patterns, our habits, our personality. It's the place where our likes and our dislikes rule supreme, and they make us, they give us a drive to do different things, to want this and so to move toward it, to not want that and to move away from it, to have this ebb and flow in our lives that drives us through our days, through our moments even. The symbol that's often used for the Svadhisthana Chakra in a, in a yantra or a, a pictogram for this center is in a crocodile because the crocodile lies very dormant, you know, just under the water, hovering, just the eyeballs showing, and then it jumps up and snaps and grabs its prey in the same way that our desires might be lying there doing nothing, but then suddenly, boom, we're driven to like the most, uh, you can't even believe you've been driven to something like that, right? All you have to do is look at the news to see what people are driven to by passion, right? So this second chakra is the abode of that. And to be in balance in this center, to have this center as part of us, it explains a lot about human nature. We are that way. We have these desires, we have these passions, they become habits, they become even definitions of who we are. I'm the kind of person who likes my home X way, or I'm the kind of person who loves the opera, or I'm the kind of person who would never go out with my hair messed up, etc. Right? So then we have those things baked into us as our personality. But the thing is that as we evolve, quote unquote, as we gain more perspective, as we gain more insight and we keep tapping the unbound intelligence part of ourselves to counter to some degree, but also to inform to an even bigger degree what we're doing in life, then the headquarters, this second chakra, becomes your like a guide system. What am I interested in? What is my passion? Right? And then you can use your intelligence, your wisdom, your learning, your intuition, all those things together to decide what to do about it, right? I've been watching a really fun uh, Indian TV show that's about the Ramayana, a um, uh, legend that is based on the deity Ram. And Ram is considered to be a, in, an incarnation of the god Vishnu. And 
these deity ideas are you know explanations of how how the world works made into beings right? so in the creating of the everything the world and every everything in the biggest scale and then also every single thing on every scale you have things beginning things sustaining and things ending and the ending so far we haven't had a complete ending that just means the next thing gets to begin out of that right everything is recycled into the next thing so a continuous cycle of beginning sustaining ending so that middle piece is called vishnu in the yoga model and ram is an incarnation of vishnu so a, a human form of this essence brought into the world because the world was having problems sustaining the world was out of balance so what's cool is that as Ram is going through all of these experiences as a human, um, you get to kind of notice how do these philosophical concepts play out? What's Ram doing? And um, in the episode I watched yesterday, he was talking about something with his brother and his wife, and they were discussing these errors that they had made in judgment about um, another brother. And the, the brother of Ram said, I can't believe I was so wrong. You know, how, how will he ever forgive me? And Ram said, you know, you're very emotional and you're, you're, that's part of your nature. And the brother said, oh, well, how am you know, how do I not have that? And Ram said, you can't not have that. Emotion is part of your of nature. It's part of being human. All you can do is what you do with it. That's the, the action that you can take is how do you deal with it? And in order to deal with it properly, you have to deal with it with intelligence, right? So we have emotions and we deal with them with intelligence and then they're helping us, they're guiding us, they're providing the passion that A, makes life interesting, but B, gives us the things that we're supposed to be doing, the things we care about enough to be doing. So we are using the things that are driving us as the next step to take on our journey. And the, uh, the two women in the Create podcast uh, pointed out that we, we're so confused about that because we're looking for like the far away long-term answer. And we're looking for how do I get that? Where these intuitive drives, these desires are often only giving us like the next step, right? Like the universe is just working step at a time. It's working in the now. And if we're all bogged down in the, well, what then? We're, we're prone to missing the thing that we should try right now. And when you try something, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the end, you know, that, oh, this is the answer, because you don't know where, 
what is the plan? There, you know, the plan is evolving. All of us are making our best choices based on what's going on. And then as you continue through, the next choice becomes clear. And maybe it seems like you're zigzagging or going two steps forward, one step back, but you're just moving through life. I wanted to remind you, subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and then rate the podcast, and then become a supporter of the podcast on Patreon, and then come to France, come to see me in class, all kinds of fun ways that we can keep doing the yoga thing. Namaste. This brings us to perhaps the hardest thing to deal with, which is that the purpose of life, the what are we getting out of life, is not necessarily based on the rules of the world of our senses. In the world of our senses, we're either in a monarchy or a dictatorship, or we're in a capitalist system, or we're in a communist system. And based on those things, there's a certain goal, and that's what we're trying to get. Somebody's trying to get to be the richest and the most powerful, or if you're in a more communist situation, everybody's trying to be the same, and there's trying to be equality. You know, so all of those things are going on, but from life's perspective, right? We're just progressing through. And most, most spiritual paths, most authentic spiritual paths that I'm aware of are not paying so much attention to what's happening on that physical plane. Like they might be, you know, very much pro equality and all of that, but it's what's going on in an individual in their relationship to the whole that is of interest. Right? So when we go from that perspective, it takes us back to this notion of the yamas and the niyamas, the pratipaksha bhavanam, the trying to live in a way that allows you to have the experience of yourself as transcendent of the ordinary day-to-day -day challenge of life, sensory world, limited view, and to instead be feeling yourself as unbound, feeling yourself as beyond that. And, and Marie Kondo just popped into my head, her whole thing with like, love your socks as you fold them up. I mean, that's something that comes from total engagement with the moment that you're in, right? So when you've done the work of freeing yourself from being attached to all the things, then everything you encounter is the, the has the possibility of being wonderful. And you just do it. You do the thing that's in front of you as though it's the important thing. You follow your desire informed by your intelligence, informed by your intuition. So you see something, you go, oh, I really want that diamond that's on the, uh, in the jewelry store. Of course you don't take it because that's not intelligent, right? But 
if you desire that people should be able to eat who are poor, then you're drawn to take the steps that you need to help create a food kitchen, right? a soup kitchen. So your desires help you move through life. They're like your programming, the same way your DNA programs you in terms of how tall you are, what color is your hair. Your desires are like your programming for what is my karma? What are my likes and my dislikes? What is going to feel good as I make my way through my life? What will I be passionate about? And then if you do that intelligently, you deal with that intelligently, then you're likely to feel contented in your dharma, contented in your circumstances, like you chose the right thing to do in your life. Sometimes that doesn't equal our job. Sometimes it's the thing that we do on the side of the thing that we do to make money. That's because of, again, the intelligence. <clears throat> if you say love poetry and people love your poems, but you could only make a dollar fifty cents a week on poetry, then perhaps you need a better job so that you can be the poet that everybody loves and that you love being on the side. Yeah. So hopefully that's some food for thought. Um, I thank you for hanging out with me on Peter's podcast. It's always really uh, joyful to talk about things that I find important and I hope that you find important too. I, um, I made a deal with Wendy Newton that she could borrow my microphone for her training if she would do the next podcast with me. So uh, we'll do our next podcast together. I know everybody likes hearing me banter with Wendy. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to do it in the kitchen in this apartment. The kitchen's kind of tiny, so we may be uh, sharing from our dining room. So uh, you have that to look forward to. And I'm going to try to get that out um, in a week. We'll see. Maybe two weeks, but hopefully a week. All right? So um, be well. I'm going to add at the end of this podcast um, a little episode afterwards that's a recording from a recent meditation class um, <clears throat> so you can hear that if you've never come to meditation class with me uh, it gives you a sense of how that goes down so give it a listen if you like and we will see you soon and as they say in yoga namaste namaste